This morning, we are drawing our series in the book of Acts to a temporary close. We'll be picking it up again in the new year, but from next week until Christmas, we'll be living in a mini-series for Advent. And the keen ones amongst you, if you've had chocolate for breakfast, will have spotted that Advent started this week, actually. Today's passage in Acts chapter 2 is just too good to leave until January, and is such a good place to land on when we press pause that we've stolen a week of Advent to finish off Acts. I'm sure you can forgive me. Especially if you've been listening to Feliz Navidad and drinking gingerbread lattes since about October. Try it as a mocker, it's much better. I want to wish you... No. Our final passage for Acts this year, then, is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It's such a well-known passage. It's been preached over and over as a model of what the church should look like, and with good reason. It shows us a community of people who are all in for Jesus, and the brilliant results that come from this community being all in for him. So there's two main things I want to draw out of the passage this morning. Living all in and living lives that bear witness. Carol's very kindly going to come and read us the passage. Uh, we're studying Acts 2, 42 to 47, but she's very kindly going to read us from verse 40. I'd like to ask you to bear these two questions in mind. Oh yeah, you'd need a microphone, thank you. These two questions in mind as Carol reads to you. What did these guys have that made them all in for Jesus? What did they have that made them all in? And what did they have or what did they do that was bearing witness to Jesus, to those around them? Thank you so much, Carol. And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were there together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen, and thank you so much. If you have a Bible or Bible device, I exhort you to follow along with us this morning. Uh, we'll be dipping in and out, but it'd be great to keep Acts chapter 2 in front of you. Have you ever been utterly devoted to something or someone? I'd like to think that I'm devoted to Rachel. I'm sure I have my selfish and my lazy moments, but in general, I love to spend my time my energy and my money on making her life the best it can possibly be. I like to bring her little treats when I've been shopping. Someone got to start Advent yesterday with an Aldi chocolate truffles calendar. <laughs> That's right. Don't you forget it. <laughs> I want to do things 
to show her how important she is to me, to reflect how I feel about her in my actions and my choices. And much as we might tease each other, I know that I'm a blessed man. The thought of giving to any other person the love that I have to Rachel is utterly abhorrent to me. I am devoted to her. I think the idea of being devoted to someone is huge. I think devotion contains the idea of loyalty, of commitment. It's orientating our actions towards something or someone, positioning our whole selves to pour into something or someone. And it's more than actions. There's something of the heart in devotion as well. To be devoted to someone is to be all in. To be devoted to something is to be fully promised to it. The word actually comes from the Latin to vow away. To vow away ourselves or to vow away something. To make a sacrifice to something else. This complete given overness that the word devote describes sets us a strong scene for verse 42 in this passage. These 3,000 people have just met Jesus. Peter preached at Pentecost. They responded. They said, wow, yes, me, I'm in. And, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayers. This group gave themselves completely to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayers. Four really solid points there. Or to put that slightly differently, they went all in on a life of getting as much information about this God who they've just met from those who've been walking with him. Building real, honest relationships with each other, which is why we do socials in home groups, by the way. It's so important to do real life with one another as well as uh, seeking a real meeting with God. Eating together and taking communions regularly. And fourthly, spending time with the Lord in prayer as a lifestyle. So if that's the model these guys set us, the obvious question, the challenge to us today is, how do we measure up to this example? How do our lives compare? I've known some people dismiss this passage as an idealized reality, saying, ah, that's what the book of Acts says, but really that's just a rose-tinted memory. It would have, wouldn't have really been like that. And you know what? Nah. I do not buy that one minute. Have you ever spent time with someone who's just recently met Jesus? Have you spent time with someone who's met God for the first time and they're on cloud nine? You have to kind of hold onto their ankles as you're walking down the street. I love spending time with people who've experienced God's love brand new, watching their lives get flipped turned upside down. Good, about four people remember Will Smith. Watching their lives getting refixed on a relationship with the real God whose kingdom is so close that we can reach out and grab it. I've seen enough brand new, all-in, Jesus-loving Christians to say that I can fully believe this account in Acts chapter 2. I think this is exactly what the church looked like then and there. I think that these brand new discoverers of God really were devoted to learning as much about him as possible from those who'd walked with Jesus. That they realized what life together as God's people could look like, and they went for it. And I think it's no accident that, in verse 43, awe came upon every soul. 
many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I don't think that that devotion and these wonders and signs with the awe as a bridge in between, I don't think that those are accidents or just put alongside each other. I think that God's enthusiasm to demonstrate his power and love through us is often related to our receptiveness to him. And that the awe in verse 43, which some translations use the word fear for, the awe of God amongst this community that loved him so, I think that was a fertile ground for him to work in. In our own context, here in Kingdom Vineyard, in the year 2018, I would like to see many wonders and signs of God that show the people of East Fife that God loves them. And so, I'd love us, I'd love us as a church to discover a level of devotion to God and awe of him that he can then use to bring more wonderful signs of his kingdom into our neighborhoods. Friends, I believe that God has got some big plans for us, and I am excited, not just about the Muppets. But I think we need to want God to move. For him to be up for going ahead with his plans through us, I think he wants us to want it. He wants it to be a relationship. I want it. And honestly, I want to want it more than I want it. So I'll be at the prayer meeting tomorrow night. See you there? Verses 44 and 45 offer a real challenge to us today. Although... I don't think it was any less challenging to them then. Honestly, that's the nicest heckle I've had for months. (laughs) Verse 44 says that all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Just read that again for a second. All who believed were together, they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. These verses describe an attitude to money and possessions that sticks in many of our throats. How many of us, even now, are thinking along the lines of, oh, well, it was all right for them. I don't think these guys had it any easier than we do. But Jesus warned us, In Matthew 19, verse 24, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What's that about? I do not think that the Lord hates rich people. I don't think that the Lord dislikes you if you've got money in your bank account. Not at all. I think that it's difficult for someone with wealth in this world to make the decision to lay it all down for Jesus and to make him fully Lord of their lives, including their finances. What I mean is this, the more possessions we have, the more there is to have second thoughts about letting go of. When we say that yes to Jesus, to give him full control of our whole lives, when we choose to die with him and receive the new life that he gives us, where he's in complete control, and actually if he says, sell everything and give it to that person, we have to say yes. I think a person without much to hold on to has less trouble dropping it to embrace Jesus. Or 
as the prophet Notorious B.I.G. put it, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> In getting to know Jesus. He, he didn't add that line. Gee, I'm getting glared at from the front row, just so you're aware. <laughs> Aren't I blessed? <laughs> Isn't she? Pray for Rachel. Jesus is pretty uncompromising. He wants us to put him above everything. Everything. Above possessions, above money, above even our families. Not because any of those things are bad, not at all. But because all of them can be used to come between us and the God who created us and wants to restore us to him and then wants to use us to reunite the world to him in love. It's a question of priorities. Of attitude of devotion. For us today, Kingdom Vineyard is not asking anyone to sell all of your possessions and give your money to the church. The type of community we have here isn't a commune, although I believe there are some faithful souls in this community who, when they see someone, a brother or sister, in real need, would take extraordinary steps, extraordinarily generous steps, to make sure that their needs are met. God bless you, faithful ones, who put the kingdom of God above your own comforts. I think we're blessed to have some receptive to the Lord, generous souls in this church. For most of us, most of the time, the model that Kingdom Vineyard holds to is one of tithing. That is, giving our first 10% of our income to the work of God in our local church here. That giving pays for some of my time, some of Rachel's time, some of Jesse's time to administrate the church, some of Scott's time as our storehouse manager, for the rent of this building on Sunday mornings, for the rent of the vineyard center that we use for our offices and for storehouse, and for things that we as a church do to seek to bring the kingdom of God into the lives that we're able to reach. If you're tithing, if you're giving your first 10% of your income to this church, I just want to take a moment to thank you wholeheartedly for what you allow this church to do. By being a fully invested member of this family, you are allowing us to do what we do to bring in God's kingdom in East Fife. And to those of us who aren't giving financially to Kingdom Vineyard or aren't tithing for whatever reason, I want to remind you gently that Kingdom Vineyard is currently limited in what we do because our budgets are only as big as the giving of our congregation. None of the staff here are paid full-time. Rachel and I share one wage between us, for example, alongside Rachel working as a translator. Jesse's only paid for part of the time that he spends running our office. Scott's only paid for one of the days that he spends uh, leading storehouse each week. And as well as that, actually, I have a vision to increase our team, to employ a paid children's pastor one day, to build a youth work. But those things cost money that we just don't have at the moment. Students, I recognize that your situation is particularly complicated. You've got student loans muddying the waters and often a home church and a university church to balance between. But I'd also say many of you at the moment have more disposable income than many graduates in full-time jobs. And you're included in this challenge to give as well, especially if you can spend more on coffee in a week than you can give to the work of God in your local church. Students, can I ask you to reflect, to consider your tithing as part of your relationship with God this morning? 
Those are the practicalities of giving. And it's never an easy thing to say. Everyone gets awkward when you start talking about money. But those are the realities of the work we're trying to do with the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Fife. But more than those practicalities, more importantly, pastorally, honestly, I believe that tithing is a spiritual discipline for Christians. It's a sign of us being all in with God and his church, or not. For that reason, I encourage Christians in any church to tithe to the work of God in their local church. I deeply believe that it's a discipline that God deeply values and that he unapologetically asks of all of us. There are other great charities and great organizations doing great work in the world, and there are loads of potential demands on our finances, but as a spiritual discipline, I believe that tithing comes before those, and that our giving to other good causes comes after that initial 10% giving to the work of God in the local church. The picture I see in the Bible is that generosity is the bit that we describe that comes after tithing. Tithing is the expected part of our relationship with God, rooted in local church community. To give you an example, Rachel and I sponsor a child with compassion, which we love doing. Should I tell them? So we sponsored a child called uh, Genesis, which is, I think, it's, that's, we were like, that one, clearly. <laughs> right? And you might know we don't have natural children of our own. So I'm like, a Exodus for a name, because... <laughs> Good. We love sponsoring our child, but the money that we give to Compassion isn't, isn't part of our 10%. That's not money we've redirected from our tithe to give to another charity. That comes after the 10% of our income that we give to Kingdom Vineyard because we believe that's the discipline. The rest, those generous givings, they come after tithing. Practically, I'd love for this church to have more capacity to serve East Fife on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. But more than that, spiritually, I'd love for this to be a church that consistently commits ourselves to God through finances, that's all in for him in this way, putting our wallets where our voices are in worship, as many of us are already. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. For anyone who is receiving, uh, sorry, for who's considering reviewing their giving this morning, We've got some gift aid forms and some information at the back there or on the website. You can come and ask us. We want to be as open and transparent with this as possible. Uh, or you can ask any of the trustees of the church about giving any time you like. Uh, trustees, I didn't prep you for this. Could you just stand up and smile and wave? Thank you. Aren't you beautiful? What a blessed bunch we are. Right. These are our trustees. Go and ask them about giving. Why should I give to Kingdom Vineyard? Uh, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> In this morning's passage, we're holding up an example of the Act Two community and saying, wow, aren't they impressive for their dedication to God, their devotion that goes even beyond their money? Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if people looking in on our lives said the same of us? I want us to be all in. Verse 46 shows us another insight as well. This community was committed to a life of worshipping God in the temple and to fellowship in each other's homes. 
It doesn't anywhere say that they gave up their work, and I suspect they didn't, which means that they were building into their lives worship and fellowship time together into already busy working lives. They so valued a deepening relationship with God and a deepening relationship with each other that they prioritized it in their lives. What an incredible statement to those watching on, the people that they worked with, to their own families. What an incredible way that their lifestyles, their actions, serve as a witness testimony of the change that God has made in their lives. Morag spoke excellently, I might add, a couple of weeks ago about repentance, about true change, about turning away from some things in order to turn to God. She used the phrase, a transformative change of heart, which I really like. The lives of this first community of Christians must have looked very different when they met God compared to their lives beforehand. This devotion that they had, this awe that they had, I think it came from a response to meeting God. In fact, I think that this whole passage, this whole picture we have of what this church looked like is a community acting in response to having met God. First the 120 disciples, then at Pentecost the 3,000, then day by day more and more people seeing Jesus, seeing that there's something in this actually, and making the decision to go all in with him. A personal challenge for you. No one raised their hands. Have you encountered God? Have you encountered God? What was it like? What response in you did that meeting with God provoke? Do you want to encounter him again? At the end of this talk, we'll invite people to come forward for prayer if you'd like to receive prayer for anything. If you fancy that, come on forward and say, I just want to meet God this morning. We love asking God to meet people. And I think that rather than trying to give you a jobs list, a challenges list, oh, well, now you've signed up to church, you've got all these obligations, none of that. If you've met with the real Lord and he's stirred something in your heart, then actually, I think he himself will be saying to you, now I want you to do this. And weird, we'll get excited about it. Give all my money away, Lord. Brilliant, that sounds great. Give all my time to serving people because you've told me to. Thank you, Jesus. Because actually, he'll stir something up in us that we just want as much of him as we possibly can. Verse 47 tells us that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. This favor, people around them liked what they saw in this community. And I noted that nowhere in this passage does it say that they were doing evangelism, though I don't doubt for a minute that they were doing it. Although this passage doesn't tell us here that these guys were sharing Jesus with the people around them, I think that they must have been just as a natural part of having met him recently. Have you seen what happens when someone encounters Jesus for the first time? They cannot help themselves. Jesus is real. I met him. I felt his presence. I had a message from him. He healed me. I think these guys were telling anyone who'd listen. And as I said a few weeks ago, they were telling, firstly, their own witness testimony of what God had done in their lives. They were telling the truth about who Jesus is. And then I've no doubt that they were inviting people to meet with God themselves, 
to encounter Jesus for themselves too. I think there's a real strength in that. But as well as that, as well as blurting it out to any passerby who they could get the ear of, I think that these guys were living lives that bore witness to what God had done for them. Their entire way of living, the giving of their money to the church, the constant popping off to the temple to worship God, the constant meeting together to spend time together as a community who loved to pray, to break bread. I think this was a huge glowing sign to anyone who was watching. I've met God and it was a huge transformation. And when anyone asked, they had an opportunity to introduce someone to Jesus, they took it. Acts chapter 8, 35 and 36 tells of an opportunity that the disciple Philip had to tell an influential Ethiopian traveler about Jesus. And the Ethiopian was so moved by Philip's explanation of who Jesus is that he demanded to be baptized on the spot, which is, I'm sure, an experience that many of us have had. So friends, the second thing I want to say to you this morning, as well as the question of whether we're all in or not, is this. Bear witness to Jesus. Let the words we speak and the actions we take bear witness to our devotion to Jesus. I really want to honor the time that you allow me to stand in front of you and open up a passage. Uh, And so rather than just telling you my thoughts, uh, I ask the Lord, what do you want to say to the church? And as I was going to sleep one night this week, I asked the Lord to speak to me clearly about what he wanted me to share with you this morning, what to focus on in this inspiring but challenging short passage in Acts. And he woke me up overnight to answer. I am grateful. <laughs> he woke me at 1.22 a.m., then at 2.40 a.m., then at 5.32 a.m. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I've had friends that have been woken strategically overnight by the Lord weirdly, at times that correspond to Bible verses. What a ridiculous sense of humor the Lord has. And I thought, nah, mate, not really. Hmm, yeah, it turns out. <laughs> just find myself popping awake at 1.22. Why am I awake? I've got no idea. Oh, could this be, hmm, I don't know. Well, let's just check the time. I'm in the book of Acts. Lord, is this? Acts 1, verse 22. This is Peter talking to the disciples about picking a replacement for Judas. Peter says, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Acts 2 verse 40, part of Peter's sermon at Pentecost that we read this morning. With many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Then in Acts 5.32 a.m., <laughs> This is Peter and his uh, apostles' trial before the council. Peter says, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. I think the Lord was trying to tell me something. I think that the Lord wanted me to share with you this morning the importance of bearing witness to Jesus. And I'm, what a ridiculous method he used to tell me. Very grateful, but I do like my sleep. I think that the Lord wanted me to share with you this morning the importance of bearing witness to Jesus, of being a faithful signpost to the God who loves your family, 
who loves your friends, your colleagues, and your classmates. In the words that we speak about him and the lives that we live as people who know Jesus' love and his power, can the people in our lives see that we've been changed by an encounter with God? If he's real, if this stuff that we say and sing about him is real, and spoiler alert, it is, do our lives reflect that? Are we keen to introduce people to Jesus? Can I encourage you to take these quality invitations, to make a note of who you're going to give it to, and if you are blessed with more than one friend, we've got a whole pile of these at the back. If no one takes them from the back, I'll just be praying for all of your social lives. <laughs> Please invite someone to our Advent services on a Sunday morning, to our Christmas worship night on Saturday that I cannot wait for, even to the Muppets, hallelujah, the Lord can use it, to give them a chance to discover God this Christmas time. Christmas is a really great time to invite someone to think about God. So please, grab this opportunity for their sake. But there's another side to bearing witness that I also want to stop and note this morning. The Lord also pointed me to Acts chapter 7. And in the second half of the verse I shared from Acts chapter 5, if we can have the Acts 5 verses back on the screen, that would be great. The second half of the verse from Acts chapter 5, and in Acts chapter 7, this early church community face opposition. They find themselves in a society that is hostile to the Jesus they bear witness to. Peter and John are put in prison in Acts 5. Acts 7 is the story of how Stephen, one of the servants of the early church, is stoned to death for declaring that Jesus, the Christ, is God. Our bearing witness to Jesus can come at a cost. All the more reason why we need to decide whether we're all in or not. Bearing witness to Jesus can make us unpopular, especially with people who are invested in the world remaining the way it is, who resist Jesus being Lord. We need to decide to bear witness to him with our eyes wide open to the possibility that we might find opposition coming against us. There's a reason we started our series in the book of Acts with a look at the book of Joshua. But I don't think that God wants us to suffer. Not at all. But I do think he wants us to be part of his mission of love to the people in a hurting and broken world that won't always be grateful for it. I do think he wants the world to know about him. I do think he wants us to be the ones who are his kingdom carriers into the dark places, to give us the family mission of reuniting lost children with the most loving parent they've never known. This community of brand new Christians in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, are absolutely a model community. But their principles their lifestyle is absolutely available to us today. An attitude of generosity with their belongings and their finances, an attitude of whole life worship of God, whole life togetherness with each other, gratitude to God for the things he was doing with them, many signs and wonders amongst them, and favor with all the people. No wonder in verse 47 we read, that the Lord added to their number 
day by day, those who are being saved. And God's still in the same business. As we prepare to put down our series in the book of Acts until the new year, it leaves us with an inspiring picture of what church can be. And I really do celebrate the things I see in this passage that Kingdom Vineyard is already blessed with. But it does leave us with a challenge to ask us if our relationship with God and with his church looks like the relationship that these guys had. A challenge to invite us to go all in and to see whether we are faithfully bearing witness to who Jesus is, to what God is really like, and to look with excitement for the Lord to add to our number here, day by day, those who are being saved. Why don't you stand? I would love to pray for you. Before I do pray, if anyone, um, if there's something within you that, that twanged when one of those words was given out earlier, or when I said, if you want to meet God this morning, come forward, or when anything I said uh, either encouraged you or challenged you, I want to invite you when we start worshipping in a moment, come forward. We would love to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us, inspire us, build us up to be the church community that you would have us be? Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you come and bless us and fill us again with your presence? Lord, in everything that we do and everything that we are, I want more of you. Praise you, Lord.